0: I invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of the Gospel. From John chapter 2. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, O Christ. You may be seated. Paul says in our reading from 1st Corinthians that the Jewish people of his day demand signs and those from, Greek, from Greece desire wisdom, and I'd argue with him a bit, mainly because I don't think that demanding signs or desiring wisdom are only traits of those ancient peoples. I think that every generation before Paul wrote his letters and after, have wrestled with the truth that looking for signs, for wisdom, for reason and logic and evidence are how we as humans interpret and understand our world. That's basically what science is. It's the way in which we study and work to understand the universe around us. It's sort of a big part of our humanity. And so it makes sense that Jesus could be a stumbling block in all this logic and reason and looking for signs. Because even though the Jewish people in the temple, in our reading from John, are people of faith, they are also human. They are people of logic and reason. For them, their faith makes sense because it has been passed down from generations and this tradition really came into being with Moses and those 10 commandments we heard from our Exodus reading. As Moses comes down from the mountain, he brings with them a logical promise of give and take. Follow the commandments, Follow all the laws, and the Lord your God will show steadfast love to you and to the thousandth generation. Study, apply logic and reason to scriptures and to the history of your people, and it all makes sense. The Hebrew people didn't do their part in the promises made between them and God, and they saw wars and exile, and now here they are once again in Jerusalem under the oppression of an empire. And they've had their prophets, their signs, their evidence. And their history and all of it together gives them a pretty clear picture a very human picture of our understanding of grace and so here these people are in the <laughs> temple, their place of worship and this is the only place of worship for them it was believed that the temple was the place where God dwelled and that God wasn't really anywhere else and so if you wanted to follow all of the laws that came after those Ten Commandments then you would make long trips to the temple, at least occasionally, in order to do the proper sacrifices. For sin, for forgiveness, for new children, and everything else listed in the 603 commandments that follow the 10 we heard earlier. So logically, there was an issue. Sometimes people were traveling miles upon miles, and it's hard to get a young lamb to make that trip and still be unblemished at the end of it. It was costly and difficult, and so that's why the marketplace exists in the temple. In other gospels, Jesus seems angry and upset because of corruption in the marketplace, but we don't hear that angerness or that corruption here. It's a place for people to be able to come and follow the law. They can make their trip and purchase the lamb that couldn't travel with them so that they can follow God's commands for their required sacrifice. All that logic.
1: And there's no laws against it
0: in scripture, it followed everything that they were called to do. So when Jesus comes in and begins to herd the sheep and cattle out of the temple, when he pours out the coins of the money changers and flips their tables, it seems to have very little to do with the logical faith practices of those gathered. To those who are there to worship, Jesus' behavior seems foolish and reckless and illogical. It doesn't make sense. What's the problem? And so some people come to him and say, what sign can you show us for doing this? Where's the sign? Where's the evidence? Where's the reason for your behavior? And Jesus speaks in a sort of riddle, talking about the temple. Hi, baby. You want to come up here? You can be right Jesus speaks in a sort of riddle, talking about the temple, but really talking about himself. Hi. Okay. About the new temple that he carries in him. Those who question him don't speak again in our reading, those Jewish people who come to Jesus, but even the disciples, we learn, actually have no idea why Jesus is doing what he's doing. The Gospel writer tells us that it's not until Jesus dies and rises again that the disciples remember this moment and have a sort of collective, oh, that's what he was talking about. Suddenly, it makes sense to them, this is John chapter 2. We've got a long way to go before they even begin to understand what Jesus is saying. But in the moment, they're just clueless, just like the other people who are there, maybe wondering where Jesus got the cords and time to create the whip he uses to drive the animals out in the first place. But they're looking for a reason. They're looking for logic. The disciples, the people in the temple, and Even us, we are looking for signs, for guidance, for understanding. But our wisdom doesn't quite cut it. Paul says that the world did not know God through wisdom. The claim Paul makes is that in ancient Israel, as humans, we turned faith into something that was about us. About our ability to earn God's love and mercy. About our ability to follow laws and commandments and bring the right animal or the right amount of money to the temple to make the right sacrifice to show God our own signs that we were worthy. And like all the generations before and after Paul wrote this letter, humanity hasn't changed much. We still try to take God and fit God's power into a box that we can understand. We still turn faith into something about us as individuals, about our own self-righteousness, about our own ability to be good Christians, whatever that means, and to be worthy of God's love and mercy. We might not worry as much about the proper sacrifices. I know. That's right. We don't worry that much. But there are plenty of people of faith who look for the right way to be on God's good side, to be on the inside. And often people do this by creating reasons why some have to be excluded, why some have to be on the outside so that they can be in, because logically, If there are chosen people, then there must be those who aren't chosen. That's what our human logic tells us. Our logic and our reasoning make sense to us, though. It's the wisdom of our world, and so it's wisdom that shapes us. And by our human logic, by our own reason, what could be more foolish than the love God gives? What wisdom is there in loving others when our world tells us to take care of number one? What wisdom is there in God loving people who we think don't deserve it, especially when our world tells us all the ways that we are separate and different from each other? What wisdom is there in God showing mercy to people who don't care when the world tells us that we have to earn our keep? What wisdom is there in this Jesus who speaks in riddles and doesn't come to the temple with signs and powers? Wisdom is there in the Son of God whose body becomes the temple where God resides who acts as the living sacrifice for the sins and the brokenness and the logic of the world who turns upside down our logic and our reason and our understanding of the universe the universe around us what wisdom is there in the message of the cross the message of God's Son, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, but fully human and fully divine, dying on a cross. Paul's not wrong. It seemed like foolishness to people outside and inside the early church, and maybe it still sounds a little foolish today. Couldn't there have been a better way, a more logical way, a less violent, less body-breaking way for God to save the world? Maybe. But when faced with the wisdom of this world, with our logic, our violence, our brokenness, the world did not know God through wisdom, as Paul says. So God decided it would be through this foolishness of the cross and through the foolishness in the gift of faith that the world would be saved. And so we proclaim Christ crucified as the power of God, the power to break through our logic and our reasoning with love and mercy for us and for all. That's right. God's wisdom in spite of our foolishness, God's power raises Jesus from the dead and brings us all new life in the power of his resurrection, not because it makes sense or because we have each been given a special sign, but because we haven't. Can I go down? You can hear it there. Okay. Because God's foolish love it's for the entire world, for the entire universe, for all. Okay, that's not what we want to be. God's foolish love is for you and for me. And as this foolish wisdom is given to us, Paul reminds us that we are those who are called,
1: and it doesn't matter
0: who we were. For the church in Corinth, Paul reminds them that although they may seem different, although they are both those who are Jewish and those from Greece, that they are both called together. For us today, the world tells us that all the ways we are separate and different, and Paul reminds us that in this promise, in the promise of the cross, in this message of hope and love and foolishness, we are all called together, and we are called to proclaim God's power and wisdom in this world through our words and our actions. We are called to follow God's commands to love God and to love our neighbor without signs or logic but with the foolishness of God's love for us and for all. Thanks be to God.